Okay, we're going to um, open God's Word together now. So you might want to grab your Bible. And um, if you've been reading along with the daily Bible readings and yesterday you would have reached Joshua 13. We started this week at the beginning of Joshua and we've read through to chapters 13. If you haven't been, I really want to encourage you to, to read along. You can find the Bible readings on our website. If you scroll down, you'll see there's a little bit that says we're reading the Bible in two years. And you can click the link and it will open up another page where you'll find year one's Bible readings at the bottom. You can click on that, opens a PDF and it's got a spreadsheet with all of our Bible readings in. And right now we're in the book of Joshua, which is such an exciting book. And we've reached chapter 13. Um, but today I want us to do something a little different. I'm not going to zoom in on one little bit. I want us to look at chapters 1 to 10 as a whole. And we're going to just spend a couple of minutes pulling something out of each chapter. Um, and uh, then next week we're going to look at chapters 11 to the end of Joshua. But before we jump into that, I just want to share with you two pictures or two words from God that have come into us this week. And, and I totally believe, as do the leadership team, that these are really for us as a church the first one, uh, Fee kind of sent in, she had this picture uh, of, of the building that we meet in, of Counselor Church building uh, on Wells Road, uh, outside the front. And on the steps going up to the door, she saw this red carpet laid out. And we just get this sense that, that God is on the move. He is coming among us as church. He is arriving in a new way, like he has not arrived before. And, and the second, which, which I really feel is linked to that, came from Brian Howarth. Um, and it is from Hosea uh, chapter 2, verse 15, where God says that he is going to transform the valley of Achor uh, to, into a door of hope. He's going to transform the valley of Achor into a door of hope. And, and Achor, uh, in the Hebrew, it means trouble, the valley of trouble. What's, what's really interesting is that if you were reading this week, you would have read about the valley of Achor. Um, and we'll come to that later uh, in chapter seven. But the, the valley of trouble, God is going to turn into a door of hope. Um, and, and I want us just to hold those things in our minds today as we go through these things that God is on the move and he is transforming trouble he's transforming the valley the pit what has been difficult the struggle and turning it into a door of hope uh, we believe that, that this is a, a, a new season for our church and that a new season is coming that God is arriving in our midst in a new way in a new way um, and that he is opening a new door where there was trouble where there was dead end where it wasn't going anywhere where life seemed to stop where there was pain where there was brokenness where there was hurt and sorrow God is going to turn that stuff into a doorway of hope the question is are we going to trust him and walk through that as we go through these chapters in Joshua today uh, I want us just to pull out uh, what can we learn from Joshua and the Israelites about when God is on the move when things are transformed and when they change what can we learn from the Israelites about trusting in God during this time so let's jump in to chapter one 
So in, in chapter one, we discover that Moses is dead and Joshua has been chosen to, to take over leading the, the people of Israel. And, and I believe that these two uh, verses are really key. Ch chapter one, verse six and verse eight. I just want to read them to you. So verse six says this. God speaking to Joshua after he said, hey, Moses is dead and you're now going to lead these people. He says this. Be strong and courageous uh, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And then in verse eight, it says this. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Um. Their, the Israelites, their circumstances have completely changed. Moses is dead. Just, just, just picture that for a moment, okay? This isn't just some guy that's, that's gone. This is Moses. M Moses came to them when they were in captivity, having met with God at the burning bush and, and went and said, your God has not forgotten you. He's going to set you free. And then Moses kind of leads the people through this time when God battles with the gods of Egypt and with Pharaoh and brings plagues upon them and, and destroys the gods of Egypt and totally kind of wipes them out and says, no, there's only one God. It's Yahweh. And he sets his people free. He leads them out. He stops uh, the uh, he parts the waters of the Red Sea, leads them through the Red Sea and then washes over their enemies and destroys them then he leads them into the wilderness to mount sinai and they meet with god there and the law is given there and then they wander for 40 years through the wilderness and, and, and god provides for them manna every day quail at some points and, and and they have various things that happen to them where god shows up in powerful ways this is this moses moses who spoke with god face to face like a friend uh, and um and he's gone he's dead it is it is over and, and uh, their circumstances have massively, massively changed. And now this young dude's come along, Joshua, and he's going to take over and lead them. But he's not Moses like he's not Moses. Moses was the guy and Joshua was just this other dude. And he's now stepped in to lead these people. But you notice something while their circumstances may have changed while their leader may have changed something hasn't changed verse six be strong and courageous because you joshua will lead these people to inherit the land that i i the lord their god swore to their ancestors to give them do you notice that the circumstances have changed but the promises of God have not. He promised not just to Moses and the people back in Egypt, but he promised way back beyond that, back to Abraham. We're talking hundreds of years before that he would give them this land and he is intending to keep his promise. Their circumstances have changed, but the promises of God have not. And so he says to Joshua, Keep this book of the law, his word, keep his word always on your lips, day and night, always, so that you will do everything written in it. Basically, God's saying, trust in the word I've spoken to you. Trust in the law I have given to you. I've been reading a book recently by one of my, my favourite kind of Christian leaders and authors, a guy called John Mark Comer. Um, and in it, he's got this little uh, paragraph that he writes on trust. He says this, I want to read it to you. He says, 
To trust is to lean your weight on something. When you step out onto a bridge, you trust. You can do that with God. You lean your weight, your hopes, dreams, aspirations, all that you are on him. He can take the weight. To trust is to lean your weight on something. It it looks like something. It, It means something. You commit to it. You step out on it. You put all that you are onto it. Hey, Joshua and the Israelites, put your trust in my word. Place all that you are, your whole lives on this bridge that will support you. That is the word of God, the law that he has given them day and night. Live upon it, stand upon it, rest upon it, put your weight upon it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then this is going to happen. All that I swore, all that I promised will happen when you trust in the promise that I have given you. Lesson number one for us during changing times is this. Trust in his word. Trust in his word. If you're not reading the Bible with us every day at the moment, I want to encourage you to do that. Even if you don't read the whole two chapters and you just read the first few verses, do it. Because the only way that you'll get to trust in his word, in his promises to us, is by actually reading it. By actually reading it and letting it sink into our hearts. I've said before, time and time again, we don't read the Bible Uh, every day because we want to become knowledgeable I mean that happens as we read more of it but sometimes we read it and it doesn't make sense to us but we read it because every time we do our hearts shift a little bit and we align ourselves with heaven that is the goal to trust in him to draw near to him to align ourselves with his promises and his word trust in the Lord Okay, in chapter two, uh, we read the story of Joshua sending spies into the promised land, into Jericho, to go and check it out, just like Moses did. But this time, it actually goes really well. And they come back with a really good report that the fear of the Lord is spread all over the people in that land. And God is definitely with us. Whereas before, when Moses did that and they came back, it wasn't such the same story. They were fearful and they didn't trust in God. But now they're really seeing that God is at work and they're trusting in him. But the spies are not the only ones that see that. There's this character that we meet called Rahab, this woman who lives in Jericho. And we read that she's a prostitute, but she also recognises that God is with the Israelites. And so she turns and puts her trust in God and she protects uh, the Israelite spies that have been sent in. Even though the king of Jericho, the the king of her land has said to her, you know, you need to send those spies out. And she she lies to that king. She says, no, no, they left already. They were here and they're gone. And she protects them. Even her own king is commanding her to do something to come against the Israelites. But she realizes that God is bigger than him. God is bigger than that king. And, And I love this chapter because there's. This woman, Rahab, who we read that she's this prostitute and yet she is redeemed. Her situation is redeemed because she trusts in God. God's about to destroy uh, Jericho. And, And you might read that and think, gosh, like that is horrific what is going on there but if you zoom out and we don't have time to go into all this now and and at the end I'm going to put a link to a video that you can watch just a short video that unpacks some of the stuff that's going on in Joshua Um, but um, 
he's about to destroy this. And if we zoom out, you realize that basically God's given the people of this land over 400 years. You track back to Genesis where God says, know for sure to Abraham, know for sure your ancestors will be in slavery for 400 years because the sin of the people of the land that you're going into hasn't reached its climax. In other words, I'm giving this grace period to these people who are sacrificing their children to false gods and committing all kinds of sexual acts that are indecent and wrong in worship to false gods i'm going to give them 400 years of grace that they might turn but they don't turn and so it gets this point and there's this woman rahab who's caught up in some of this sexual stuff that is so wrong and even in the midst of that she is redeemed because she sees that god is at work and she puts her trust in him and she protects uh, the israelite spies what i love about this and the lesson i want us to take from this is really simple is is that we can trust in god over and above any other authority or voice or circumstance you know other people will speak against god and against his way and against his word and against the way that jesus calls us to live but we need to keep trusting in him because ultimately God is victorious. Ultimately God will win and we can be redeemed no matter where we're at when we put our trust in Jesus. So in chapter three, we reach the part of the story where the spies have come back and they're like, yes, God is with us and we're going to go in and take this land. And so they're about to cross the River Jordan, which, by the way, is in full flood and like full on flowing at this time. And uh what they do is they send out the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant first. And as the priests get to the water's edge and they put their feet in the water and they step in carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the waters pile up and they stop behind them. And the priests walk into the middle on dry ground and they stand there so that they can all uh, cross over in, in front of them. Now, what I love about this, a couple of things. One, the Ark of the Covenant going first. What, what is that? What, what does that mean? Why is that important? You see, the Ark of the Covenant it is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It is his presence and his promise. OK, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant is where they believed that the presence of God dwelt um, uh, between the seraphim on the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant uh, was was the was the law the word of god the ten commandments scribed out on the stones in in there is god's presence and his promise he, he, him in himself his spirit and his word going out in front of the people and i love that because in verse um four it's, it says this you, you let the ark go first then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before we need to trust in his leading and in his presence, in his promise, in his word. If we let that go in front of us, not our desires, not our hopes, not what we think is the right thing to do. But if we let his word and his presence lead us, then that will lead to signs and wonders and our faith and our confidence in him will be built and we'll know which way to go. Like I want to be part of a people like that, that trusts the presence of God to lead us but there's a warning in this passage as well it goes on and and it says keep your distance okay keep your distance you should say so far behind the ark of the covenant don't get too close why uh, because we can be tempted to run in front 
You know, like we want to be up there with God, you know, going for it. The problem is, is that human beings, we're so often tempted to want to jump in, in front. And when that happens, uh, all kinds of ideas about what we should do, which is the right way to go, the direction we should be heading in, start to kind of surface. And, and they're our ideas. They're not God's ideas. You see, we need to let God's presence go first and keep a certain distance back and just follow him, trust in him and not be tempted to run ahead with our own ideas about what things should look like. As seasons change and new things come, we want to be a people who trust in the leading of our God, who trust in his presence and his promise, and we let him lead the way. So in chapter four, we read of Joshua uh, leading the people through. They've come through the river um, and the Ark of the Covenant is still there with the priest still holding it. The water still backed up. And Joshua chooses 12 men, uh, one from each of the tribes of Israel to represent the whole nation. And they go back to the riverbed and they pick up these stones from the bottom of the riverbed and in front of the Ark of the Covenant and they carry them out. And Joshua sets them up as, an, as a, a memorial, as a pillar to remind them of what God has done in this time and so that future generations when they look back and go what is that pile of stones uh, people can say to them actually they came from the very depth of, a, of an incredible situation a challenging situation something that God led us through and that we overcame they came from the depth of that we carried them out and set them up to remind us that we could trust God in the past which means we can trust him in the future I wonder what are you going to carry out of this time to remind you that you got you could trust God during this time which means you can trust him for the future as Christians, we've got something we carry with us always. The cross and the empty tomb are, are memorials. They are they are pillars that we that we look to that remind us that God can be trusted. That He's an amazing God. He's overcome so many things. Uh, he is powerful and conquered death itself. And we can trust Him for the future because of all that He's done in the past. But there are things even in, in each season that we can carry out with us. But in order to carry those stones out, you actually need the river to back up and you need to walk through. You see, if we try and overcome the river ourselves by building a raft or a bridge, then we don't have the stones from the depth of that situation. We haven't walked through uh, the mud along the bottom of the river with the waters piled up behind us. You need to trust in God. We need to let his presence and his promise go in front of us so that we actually have walked through and we can carry them out. That way, we know that we can trust God in things that are yet to come because we trusted him in things that we have been through. What are the stones that you're going to bring out and set up as an altar to remind you that God has led you through this time? Maybe there's something physical, practical in, in your home that you're going to hold on to as something that reminds you that God was with you, even when you were isolated and on your own. Uh, maybe you've been busy highlighting verses in your Bible that God has been giving you. There's all kinds of things. Maybe you've got a journal and you're writing down stuff. Um, you know, maybe we're going to keep some of some of our videos that we've recorded with different people sharing of things that God has been doing there are all kinds of things but we want to take those stones and set them up because if we're going to move forward as a church if you're going to move forward in your life then you need to remember to trust him for what he has done 
what he has done. Trusting him for that will give us trust and hope in what he is yet to do. And, and man, there was so much yet to happen for the Israelites that they needed to remember that God was trustworthy before and he is trustworthy again. OK, we've reached chapter five and um, there are a few things that happen in this chapter. Uh, so first off, uh, Joshua is told to circumcise all, all of the, the men um, and they do that. And it says that they did it at a place called Gibeath Haraloth. And, and I find this hilarious. If you look in your Bible, there's probably a little letter and you jump down to the bottom and it will tell you that Gibeath Haraloth literally means hill of foreskins <laughs> in my head it conjures up this picture of joshua sat there on his little stool with his flint knife queue of men lined up and he's like ch -ch -ch, chopped it off sling it over and this pile of, of foreskins piling up behind him um, which i just find crazy that's what they called the place gibeath haraloth the hill of foreskins and then after that um they celebrate the Passover and, and then they eat the food, the, the produce of the land that they're in. And the manna stops coming at that point. And then the angel of the uh, of the Lord's army, the commander of the Lord's army shows up and, and, and Joshua has this encounter with him. This is very much like the Moses encounter, like the presence of God is there. And, and Joshua is told to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. There's so much in this chapter. But in just a couple of minutes, I just want to focus on the first bit of the chapter don't worry i'm not going to keep talking about uh foreskins but i i i just want us to, to think about that and what was going on there and why now and why were they doing that and what we read in chapter five is that those that were born in the wilderness needed to be circumcised they needed to be prepared they needed to be set apart before they could enter the land you know, they've been on this journey and yet they hadn't been circumcised. Those that came out of Egypt already were, but those born in the wilderness hadn't been. And it was time for them to be set apart, marked out as God's people. And um, I wonder if some of us, we've been on the journey, uh, but we, we still haven't fully let God transform our lives. We still carry with us shame and guilt and hurt and pain and, and, and lies and false ideas about ourselves that maybe other people have spoken over us. But God has these people circumcised. And then in verse nine, he says, uh, he says this, that. Uh, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt for you. After they've been circumcised, that's what God says. Um, and, and reproach literally kind of meaning disapproval or, or, or disappointment. And I wonder, you know, for some of us, before we enter uh, the promised land that God is calling us into, into this new season, this new thing that God wants to do with us, uh, do we need God to roll away the reproach of our past, of our slavery to sin and shame and guilt and hurt and pain and, and lies? Because when we let him do that, then we can celebrate the Passover. Then we can eat of the produce of the land that God is, is calling us into and we're no longer reliant upon the manna. We can live in the land and the hope and the promise that God wants us to be in. And at that point, the angel of the Lord shows up and the presence of God is there. And now is the time when God is going to do this amazing thing and lead them in to the fulfillment of the promise given hundreds and hundreds of years ago to Abraham. I wonder, 
Did some of us need our hearts circumcised again? Uh, or do we need to let God roll away the reproach of the things that we have been carrying so that we can be truly marked out as his people, a free people, a forgiven people, a hopeful people, a, a people of, of love? We need to do that. We need to trust him to deal with our past in the present. We need to trust him to deal with our past in the present. Okay, chapter six. I absolutely love this chapter and I know it's a really well-known one, um, but uh, incredible story of, of the attack upon Jericho and the victory over Jericho. And you'll know it, I'm sure you will, but basically they're about to go in, but there's a certain thing they have to do. You see, they're not just going to go and attack it because Jericho is this massively fortified city with these great big walls. It was almost impenetrable in the day. So the people are told to put the Ark of the Covenant out in front. Remember again, uh, the presence and the promise of God, the Ark of the Covenant out in the front and in front of them, some people with trumpets to, to blow, to praise, to blow their trumpets. And, and they're going to walk around the city, leading the whole army around the city. And they do that once on the first day and then again on the second day and on the third day and they do it for seven days but on the seventh day they walk around the city seven times and at the end they blow the trumpets and the people give a great big cry and the walls of Jericho come tumbling down and they can run in and attack the city and take it for the Lord. Now one of the things that really excites me about this um, is the connection back to Genesis. Hey? Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't before. But remember, I've said before, whenever you see sevens popping up around the Bible, start thinking Genesis, start thinking new creation. And um, and here you see them wandering around. OK, they're like hovering around the city for seven days. And then there's this declaration and then the moment comes where they take this city that has been uh, a city that's been worshipping false idols killing children in sacrifice to them sleeping with prostitutes as, as worship to their false gods and uh, you could say that this city was tohu vavohu which is a hebrew phrase literally meaning wild and waste and it's the phrase that is used in genesis chapter one where it says this it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth was tohu vavohu formless and empty in the niv but literally wild and waste it was chaotic it was messy darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and god said let there be light and there was you see this is a new creation story this is a new creation story there's tohu vavohu and there's darkness going on but then the people of god the spirit of god is hovering around this tohu vavohu and then there's this blast of the trumpet this declaration and the tohu vavohu and darkness comes tumbling down and and there's an opportunity for new life and new hope I love it. 
And, and I believe, you know, for many of us in our lives, but in this city and in our world, there are Jerichos, there are, there are Tohu Vavohu places, there are wild and waste, there's dark and chaotic, and it has these walls built up around it, things in our lives that have built walls up around them. It's like they're stuck there and, and, and they won't go anywhere. There are things in our future that we look at and think we're never going to overcome that thing. And what we learn from this is simple. It's a Genesis story. God wants to bring life. He wants to do away with tohu vavohu. And he wants to bring hope and beauty and order to things. And so how do we do that? We trust him for the future. We let the presence and praise of God lead the way. Even when we have not yet seen it, we praise him for what he's about to do. It's easy to praise him for what he has done, but we need to be a people of praise that praise him for what he is about to do. Remember uh, that definition of trusting in God from the beginning from John Mark Homer's book, which talks about putting all of your weight onto this bridge. You know, you haven't got to the other side yet, but to get there, you need to put all of your weight onto this bridge not just a bit of it I could put my toe out on the bridge but that won't get me to the other side to get to the other side I need to walk across it I need to trust my weight to it and how do we do that with God we praise him we praise him for what he's yet to do believing and hoping that he is good and faithful in all things we put our weight upon him we trust him we give him the glory the hebrew word for glory uh, is kavod and it comes from the root word kavet which literally means a, a rich man weighed down by the the gold in his pockets kavod glory means weight we put all that we have and all that we are on to him we give him the glory we give him the weight we put it on to him and we trust him and we praise him for what he is yet to do we trust in him for what is coming we trust in him for the future so we've reached chapter seven and, and in chapter seven we read this story of this character called Akan, and uh, he um does something that he wasn't supposed to do. So when they attacked Jericho, uh, the people were supposed to, to ransack it, but they were supposed to take any of the plunder, any of the gold and silver and the beautiful things and dedicate them to God. They were supposed to go into the temple. But Akan, he, he goes in and he takes some of this stuff for himself. Now, I just want to draw your, your focus to two sections. Firstly, to verse 13, OK, because they're getting ready after Jericho to go on and attack a, a city called Ai. And it says this, verse 13, God saying to them, Israel, there are devoted things among you, things that were supposed to be dedicated to God. Uh, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. You're not going to be able to defeat them until you remove them. Why? Because ultimately you're not trusting in God. You're trusting in other things. You're not going to be able to, to have the victory unless you trust in God, because the victory is the Lord's. So the people that they start this scheme where they're going through uh, discerning who it is. And it turns out that it's Achan. And, and in, in chapters uh, seven verses 21 and 22 we discover why he did what he did so let's just read those two verses together Akan says this when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels I coveted them and took them they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath Hopefully you might be thinking 
this links back to Genesis as well, because he saw something beautiful and he coveted it and he took it. And this just takes back to the Genesis story when Eve saw something that was attractive to the eye and she took it. And where did it end up? The story of Eve taking the apple from the tree, the fruit from the tree, it, it led humanity out of the presence of God, out of his safe place, out of the place where he has the victory in his king and, and ultimately ended up in a place called Babel, the city, literally Babylon, which was the pinnacle of human evil. And um, I just want to talk about the three things that Ekan takes, the robe, the silver and the gold and what we can learn uh, from this. The, the robe it, is something that is put around someone to identify them as royalty or, or some kind of important person. The robe symbolizes like identity. And here's the thing. You see, we don't get our identity from the world. We get it from our God. But so often we see this thing that looks beautiful in Babylon, in the world, and we want to take it and wrap it around ourselves. We want to put our identity in that. But our identity, our true identity, it comes from God alone. The silver, it represents wealth. And um, we, we again, we often look to the world, to our jobs, to various other things to make us wealthy. How big a house can I have? How big an extension can I build? What holiday can I go on? And, and this, these things, we gain importance from them, from the wealth that we have and that we amass. But again, God is the one who provides all of our needs. We need to trust in him and not trust in the wealth we find in Babylon, in the world, because it can come and it can go. But our God is constant and his provisions are forever because he's good. He is good and his love endures. And finally, then the third thing is, is the gold. And I mentioned earlier on that in Hebrew, um, the word for glory literally means weight. And you notice here he says a gold bar weighing 50 shekels. It weighed 50 shekels. Its glory, its weight was 50 shekels. And again, Gold symbolizes glory. And we often look to the world for our glory, for our fame, for our worth. But our worth is in Jesus. He is our gold. He is our glory. He gives us our weight because we're made in his image. And if we look for our worth anywhere else, it will have no weight. It will have no glory. Often we take these things and um, and like I can, we actually do them in secret. <laughs> you know, we put them in our tent and we bury them beneath the ground. Nobody will know, but it gives us that sense of security. We've got it there. And um, I just want to put this out there, really, it's not as a judgment, because we all do it. And I'm guilty of it at times myself. But we do things and we do them in secret and think that that's OK. No one knows. We got away with that. But the reality is, is that even the things we do in secret are known to him. And even the things we do in secret will stop us having the victory in God. They'll stop us being fully alive in Jesus if we're trying to find life in something else. You can't do both. You can't be on both ships. You can't wear both robes. You know, it's one or the other. We need to be fully alive in Jesus. And if we're looking for life somewhere else, we will not find it. And if we hide this stuff in secret and think that it does give us worth, it does give us meaning it does give us our identity uh, then ultimately it leads us to, to the valley of Accor to the valley of trouble which is where this chapter ends and we don't want to end up there we, we want to end up 
being fully alive in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, if there are secret things in your life, actually, it's time to trust God with those things and not put our trust in the world. We trust him with ourselves, with our identity, with our value, uh, with our worth. We don't trust those things to the world. We trust them to God. And, and I want to remind you of, of that passage from Hosea, where actually it says that God takes the valley of Echor, the valley of trouble, and turns it into a doorway of hope. So if you are resonating with that, and if that is something that you're thinking, yeah, I've, I've got that going on, and I'm really struggling with it, and no one knows, but it, it does give me this brief sense of hope or, or, or joy or identity or peace, as fleeting as it is, I keep coming back to it because it's there. Actually, God can take that. He can take that trouble and he can turn it into a doorway of hope. You've got to step through it. You've got to trust him because he is where you will be fully alive. OK, so in chapter eight, having put things right with Akan and what happened there, they then go on and defeat the city of Ai. This time when they go in, uh, they're allowed to keep the plunder for themselves. And then the chapter ends uh, with this reminder of the promises of God, with the blessings and the curses, the choice between life and death, to choose life, the way of God or death, the way of the world. Um, and, and it ends then with that reminder that even in victory, this is all about God. You know, they've had this victory over Jericho. They've had this victory over I. But ultimately, it's all because of him. He's provided this victory for him. And I want us just to think about this chapter and talk about trusting him for our provision. You see, you notice how in chapter seven, which was their first mission with God into the promised lands, uh, they had to take what they amassed and give it to God. The first thing that they got, the first kind of victory, the first wealth, all the stuff that came in, they gave to God. And then in the second uh, mission that they went on, all that they amassed then, they were allowed to keep for themselves. And there's this principle that comes out of that because we, we learn, don't we, that with Akan, he took for himself first and it didn't end well for him. Uh, but but those who did give to God, they trusted God. Actually, we're taking this stuff, but we're not keeping it for ourselves. We're going to give it to him because we trust him. And then we're going to go into the next place. And this time God lets them keep it and he blesses them with what they received that time. And there's this principle that, that we learn from this is about giving to God first. We give to God first because we trust in him and we trust that he will provide for us. And, and that's why we tithe. Maybe many of you have done this for years. Maybe some of you have never done it. Um, and in no way is this a, a pressure to do anything that doesn't sit right with your heart and your spirit. This is between you and God. But I want to share this principle with you because it's biblical and we believe in it. And we tithe. Uh, what we have to God because we trust in him you know when they took the offerings uh, uh, when they took in the um, harvest from the lands they would give to God first the first fruits they would give to God and they wouldn't know if anything else was going to come but they give the first stuff to God trusting that he would bless them and that more would come ultimately it's all his I, I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 22 and 23 you might remember this from when you were reading it in the daily bible reading but it says that it says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Each, uh, sorry, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. So that you may learn to revere 
the Lord your God always so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. You know, this is why we tithe. We don't tithe to the church so that the church can make money. The church isn't a wealthy kind of enterprise. That's not what it's about. We tithe to the church because we trust in God and we want to learn to revere God always. Tithing isn't about giving to any charity that we choose. When we choose to do that, we choose what we define as good and we're actually trusting in our own judgment, not in God's. When we tithe to the church, we're tithing it to a, a group of people, uh, the body of the church, members of the church, uh, who could do anything with it. We don't know what they do with it. We have to trust that God is at work within his church and we trust him and that he uses it for his purposes. And, and that's what tithing is about. Actually, we learn here that we trust him for our provision. We don't make our decisions on it. We trust him for it. This is why we give in that way. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you don't do that, or if you've been doing it in a different way, like that, great. This is between you and God, but seek him on this. Pray and ask him what his heart is for this, because uh, we want to be a people that ultimately say, Jesus, we trust you above everything and everyone else. And whether it makes sense to us or not, we believe that you're good and that you will provide for us. We, we don't want to be like a Khan. We don't want to take it for ourselves and make our own decisions with it. We trust in him. We trust that he is our great provider. And the way that we trust is we put our full weight. It isn't just about my thoughts or my decisions or my job uh, or my relationships. This is about everything I have. The full weight of who I am, I'm putting it onto that bridge that is Jesus and I'm trusting it to him. All of my income, all of my wealth, I trust it to him and I tied it to him because I trust that he alone is God and he alone is good. Okay, two chapters left to go. Chapter nine. We encounter this group of people called the Gibeonites and they lived in the land near uh, Jericho, the land which the Israelites were supposed to completely take over as their inheritance. Now, the Gibeonites, they heard what had happened in Jericho, they heard what had happened in Ai, and they were fearful. So what they did was that they dressed up some people from their town and they sent them out to the Israelites to meet with Joshua. And, and they gave them old wineskins and moldy breads and they dusted them up and made them look like they traveled for miles and miles and miles. So that when they got to Joshua and the Israelites, they said, oh, we've traveled really far because we've heard of the fame of the Lord your God and all that he's been doing with you. And we want to make a treaty with you and have peace with you. And so the Israelites, they look at, at, at all that they've traveled. They're like, are you are you really from afar or are you one of our neighbors? And they're like, no, we are from far away. Look at our moldy bread. We've traveled so long. This was fresh when we left. Look at how much dust we're covered in because we've traveled so, so far. And, and then in verse nine of chapter nine, it says, sorry, in verse 14 of chapter nine, it says this. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. And then they go on to make this treaty with these people. And then they go off and a little while later, they get to, to the place the Gibeonites live and they're about to attack. But then the Gibeonites come out and they're like, whoa, hold up. You made a treaty with us. You, you can't go back on that. And because they made a treaty in the name of Yahweh, they can't go back on it. it here's what I take from that, that, um, that, that chapter. So often when we're moving into new territory, do you remember back in chapter three, uh, it said, you've never been this way before. They were supposed to put the presence and the promise of God in front of them and follow him, trust in his word. 
um, because they've never been this way before. And often we go to places that we've never been before. As familiar as they might be to old situations, it is a new day, a new time, a new situation. But often what we do is we look at the things in front of us and we make decisions with our own wisdom and the opinion of our own eyes instead of inquiring of the Lord. The mistake they made is that they did not inquire of God. And if we're going to move forward, like we're going to see all kinds of things as we move into the future, as we come back together again in church at some point, um, all things, all kinds of things are going to happen in our lives. But we need to remember not to make decisions with our eyes, but to trust in him. We need to inquire of God, no matter what we see in front of us, no matter how good or how bad a situation looks. The only way that we can truly be the people of God and truly have the victory and truly inherit the full promise of all that he wants to do with us is if we inquire of him and trust in him. We need to trust in God's wisdom over and above our own. Finally, then, chapter 10. So in chapter 10, uh, we, we meet these five kings that join together uh, to fight against Joshua and the Israelites because they've heard of all that has been happening and they're fearful. But in this situation, Joshua trusts in God and he calls upon God and God performs incredible miracles. The sun stands still at Joshua's command, giving them enough time to fight this battle. And then hailstones come down and, and wipe out more of their enemy than were killed by the sword and they defeat their enemy. Now, um, what do I take from this chapter? I, I think for us, as we as we move into things, as we trust in God and, and as God uses us uh, and as God is at work within our church and his kingdom is established, the enemy is going to rise up against us. Uh, when we stand for God, the enemy will come against us. And that will happen in all kinds of forms. That might be temptations in our own lives. It might try and tempt us away from God's way. Or it might be that he raises up people to stand against us. Now, it's important to remember, uh, like it says in the New Testament, that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the elemental spiritual forces, the principalities and powers, basically meaning the evil one and those that follow him in the spiritual realm. We are not fighting against other people. Other people are God's creation. Other people are the image bearers of God. Other people are the sons and daughters that he loves and wants to come home to him. But, but, the enemy will use other people, even people in our own church at times. He can whisper in our ear and get us thinking all kinds of things. And the enemy will, will stand against the purposes of God and therefore will stand against his church and the things that he is doing. You know, following Jesus was never promised to be an easy thing. Jesus said to his disciples, if they treat me like this, they will treat you like it. And he said, hey, take up your cross and follow me. But we trust in God. He has the power to overcome the work of the enemy in our lives, whether that is him using other people or rallying kings against us or by deceiving us with temptations. Whatever the enemy tries to do, Jesus has the victory and he has the power to overcome it. We look to him and we do not fight the battle on our own. We need to be like Joshua and call upon the name of the Lord because that is how we win. We stand firm on his promises. We let his presence go before us and we call on his name. We trust in him for the miraculous, for the things that we cannot do that he can do. We trust in God. So 
I hope you picked up on the theme of today's preach. It's about trusting in God. You know, God is speaking and people are speaking things into us as a leadership team. And we believe that God is leading us forward, that the red carpet is laid out and he is coming into our church in a new way. And that there's a new season coming and he's going to turn what things that have looked like defeat um, and, and evil and sadness and brokenness and hurt and pain into a doorway of hope. Uh, and I believe that. But if we want to step into that, if we want to move across from one place to another, cross through the Jordan into the promised land and defeat the strongholds and the enemies there, we want to see the kingdom of God established in our time and in our church and in this community, then we need to trust in him. We need to trust in him. I want to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 17, just to close from verses five to eight. It says this, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Church, I pray that you put your trust in the Lord our God. He is good, he is good, and his love endures. Let his presence and his promise lead the way, and in all things, seek him first. Seek him first. May you trust in God this week, and may you know the blessing of that.